Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Uncork Corner Podcast. I'm Nick. I'm here with my co-host, Bianca. And today we're excited to bring on Wigley Bridge Distillery to talk to you guys from up here in Maine. So let's have you guys start by introducing yourselves and give us some info on your background. Well, I'm David Woods, um, senior. I guess I need to use that now. Um, and this is my son, David. How's it going? Um, as far as how it all started and things like that, uh, was primarily my darling son over here blurted out at a family dinner that he was going to build a still and make whiskey. And uh, I kind of thought that might not be a good idea because it's against the law to run a still without a federal permit. And so we knocked it around for a while and um, I have a home in another country, a little island uh, in British West Indies, uh, Montserrat. And it's legal to do most anything you'd want to do down there. So um, we built a small uh, 10 gallon pot still and started making uh, bush rum. And through the process of learning how to build a still, do fermentations and stuff like that, we discovered um, we get a federal permit. So we applied and Last week, eight years ago, we got our federal permit from the government and we uh, started building a bigger still yep. in the States. That's awesome. So that's really an interesting way to get into it because a lot of the people that we've talked to so far, I feel have already been brought into more established distilleries or have been in the industry uh, by joining other companies and learn how to do it. So you guys built it from yourselves from the ground up. That must have been quite the endeavor and learning how to do that. So where did you first turn to, to, you know, learn how to build a still, learn how to start doing this the right way? Um, Internet well, forums, YouTube, all sorts of uh, questions. We do some trade shows and um, you know, you're at the bar and you're just chatting with people and picking through their brain and the questions you have for that trip. And you said and, that you started with rum. How did you decide to get into all these other spirits that you guys offer now? Um, well, the reason I started with rum is because molasses was easily accessible um, for fermentation. I mean, I fermented soursop and cashew cherries and coconut water, and most of them were failures. Um, but it allowed me to understand the fermenting process and different uh, bacterias that I don't know which bacterias they are but I know that they were different. Um, and then certain things worked and certain things didn't. I mean, my passion as far as spirit to drink is whiskey. So that is the first product that we actually produced commercially was our, uh, what is now called small barrel bourbon. We started off calling it baby bourbon. And then um, there was some discussions that we couldn't use that name so we uh, changed it to small barrel bourbon and it, it's been that for seven years now. And uh, with that, is there any particular whiskey that you tend to gravitate towards? Is bourbon your favorite one to drink? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt bourbon. I mean, some of the scotches to me are too light. Um, I don't like smoke. Um, I like sweetness. I like rye. And that's why we're such a high rye bourbon is, you know, I could cut my drinking in half by uh, just having a high rye bourbon. <laughs> there you go. Satisfied both tastes. Yep. 
And uh, tell us a little bit about your name. So being from Maine, you know, sure. I was able to sort of recognize that as sort of a local landmark. But for everyone that's listening, can you tell me how you landed on that as, I guess, your mascot? Yeah, so it's uh, the world's smallest pedestrian suspension bridge. And it's, it connects this teeny little island, which is really a peninsula. But um, back a long time ago, the bridge never had uh, a little path that went to it and the tides would fluctuate. So it was actually a wonderful place to go drinking as a kid. Um, so my dad, when he was rebellious as a high schooler, would probably earlier, uh, would go there and uh, have some drinks. The cops couldn't get out on the flooded portion, but they could come the other way. Um, but anyways, it's just a really small, cute landmark of town. And it's, it's not very small, but when you walk over it, it just has that feeling. And it's kind of similar to our distillery. It's not a huge distillery, but when you're in here, it just has that, you know, what we hope that quality comfort feeling that the bridge kind of has for us. Gotta love those personal ties too. There's always some sort of a, something like that has to be there. And for you yeah. both, I think that's such a funny one. So you can always look at it and think, you know, this is personal to us, no matter what happens. We definitely uh, had some good parties back there. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And one of the ways the first exposure for us to you guys is actually you are perfectly in between Bianca and I. Bianca is in Ipswich and I'm oh. up here in Westbrook by Portland. So okay. whenever we need to meet to exchange samples or talk about the podcast or whatever, we meet at St. Joe's Cafe and we pulled up there one day. Uh, no, I just moved to Maine from Boston uh, a couple of years ago. So I haven't been super well versed in the Maine spirits and everything yet, but I've always been a whiskey fan and we noticed Lily Bridge Distillery right there. So we are like, oh, we got to reach out to them. It's perfect. So we did. Yeah. And since then, we've noticed you guys. I mean, you're all over Maine, around me and all the stores. And I think I've seen you in Mass, New Hampshire as well. So yeah. it's awesome. And we're excited to get into talking about some of the spirits. So we can start uh, with some of the other spirits and then kind of get into the whiskey because we have those here to taste. And we'll kind of round it out with that. Uh, but to start, you already touched on, you know, your rum. So what exactly is, I would say, this type of rum that you produce? Is it a spiced rum or a white rum? What? No, we do we do a white rum and a barrel aged. It's um, a very heavy, a lot of oils, a lot of esters, Caribbean style. Um, we use a dunder pit, so we're able to create a fair amount of muriatic acid and we infect our molasses uh, with the dunder and it makes for a longer fermentation because you're fighting the bacteria the whole time. But if you keep your pHs Bianca, are you there? balanced, but trending down flavors. I mean, our white rum has a nose of butterscotch, like just set you back. So butterscotchy and it tastes nothing like butterscotch. Um, is, so it's just a lot of those um, bacterias that we're able to ferment with when we distill it out. Like David said, it's a very um, heavy rum, a lot of oils in it, and we have a definite funk to it, not unlike some of the um, misunderstood Jamaican rums. Um, you know, I tell people, if you like Bacardi, you will not like our <laughs> rum. Um, in cocktails, it's really good too because Bacardi, other like lighter rums, it kind of disappears in the in the cocktails. So we do a, a painkiller, which is orange juice, pineapple juice, 
cream of coconut in our rum. We actually use both of them. And it is, oh, you just feel like you're on an island somewhere. <laughs> you're making us want a vacation. I yeah. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> and that's in a, it's an interesting term to describe. It's not one that I've heard a lot when you talk about heavy. When you're saying that, are you referring to the flavors coming through more than mouthfeel? It's, it's mouthfeel. Uh, it's quite buttery in your mouth uh, coating. Um, but a lot of it, it's just the heavy oils um, that uh, are produced and come through distillation. Um, I mean, I've had some people say, oh, this is kind of like musty. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's not a bad descriptor. Um, and again, people that aren't used to rums like that will be put off with it, um, without a doubt. Um, but we were down in uh, Brooklyn at Bar Convent. It's a rather large consumer show. And there were a lot of distilleries from Eastern Caribbean, Western Caribbean. And I mean, they just stayed around our table wanting to do tastings. They said, this is made in the States. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And um, so it, it's different. The, the biggest reason we're going so heavy is because the product that we're actually trying to make is our barrel aged rum. And the barrel absorbs a lot of um, the oils. Um, and it turns out to be dry, not unlike a cognac. Um, but it doesn't have that big bourbon flavor to it. I mean, some of the <clears throat> good newer craft rums that are out there. And, you know, I, I think I'm drinking a whiskey. Yeah. Um, they're really going for that whiskey note. And I, I want to pay homage to the molasses that we're using to ferment. And, and I speaking, want to taste oh, like yeah. a rum. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, and speaking of different, I'm curious how you came about this agave blue spirit. I'm looking mm. at it on your website. And I, first of all, I love the bottling. I think it looks incredible. So kudos for that. But in general, what is that spirit like? And, you know, what it, is that similar to like a tequila? Is that what that tastes yeah, like? Um, so tequila can only be made in Mexico, um, but we use an imported um, roasted blue agave syrup. Um, and with every shipment I get of it, I get a COO certificate of or origination um, because there's a lot of shenanigans that happens out there with a lot of things. And this is a 100% <clears throat> blue agave syrup that we use. Um, it has a nice citrus finish on it. And that happened by mistake. Um, I mean, I, I believe I'd rather be lucky than good any day of the week. Um, we weren't super planning on doing the agave spirits, um, but when we were purchasing the rum, the, the, the molasses, we were two buckets short for a full pallet. So we looked on their website and they had agave syrups. We're like, oh, let's just try a small batch. And I've always liked uh, tequilas and stuff like that. And the first batch we did, I was just like, we can't not make this. This is the best I've had. Um, and then it was, it's all over from there. <laughs> yep. 
I mean, we do good in uh, tasting competitions with it against the majors and um, it sells well, it's expensive um, because our economy of scale is not there. And it cost me $14,000 for a tote of agave syrup. And we get two batches out of that. So each batch, I mean, just the agave syrup, $7,000. So, you know, it's like the platinum started out at $89.99 in Maine, and we only sold it at the distillery. And we sold out every bottling. Um, it's now down at $59.99. And we're still, we sell every drop of liquor that we can bottle. I mean, today we did a bottling of bourbon and already had to ship out 60 cases. Yeah. Our, my, one of the girls that works at the tasting bar, she brought up the last case of bourbon that we had while we were bottling. I mean, that's cutting it close. Um, and we had an order for 60 cases that we didn't have the 60 cases. So it, um, oh, Five, six years ago, I did a forecasting spreadsheet to see where production was, where, what we'd have for sales and things like that. And we're pretty much nailing it. Um, so in a year from now, we will probably, if we don't expand our footprint more, we'll have more bourbon than we can sell, which will actually be a good feeling for me um, because we're always scrambling, trying to find, you know, which barrels can we dump. Um, the small barrel bourbon, which you're trying tonight, that started out as a uh, 16 month product. And now we're up to three and a half years with it. And it's different. And I will say different better, but the sub, 53 gallon barrels when you're into the thirties and stuff like that. There's not a lot of information out there on aging in them. Um, and we were guilty. I say that politely of what every craft distiller is guilty of in the beginning. And that is learning the barrels and. You think it's ready. And then you try like a, a, further age spirit and you're like, oh yeah, I, I see. <laughs> this is a little fresh still. I mean, we, we never bottled anything that we thought was too young. We kept it. Um, and these two pallets have to give a thumbs up before we bottle. I mean, David has a better palate than I do. I will always defer to him but we're getting more depth. And the realization came on that is after we did our first bottled and bond uh, bottling of a four-year-old product, it was four and a half years old in a 53 gallon barrel. And we were able to see more of the nuances that our sour mash recipe will give us. And right now we're just starting to see that in the 30 gallon barrels by letting them go down the road farther. And for those who might not understand what that means, what does bottle and bond refer to? Well, bottle and bond is a classification of spirits where on the age side, so you can have a bottled and bond bourbon, a bottled and bond rye, bottled and bond whiskey. It has to be aged a minimum of four years. Um, 
it has to be bottled at only 100 proof, has to be made at a single distillery by a single distiller during a single distilling season, of which there are two. Um, bing, 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 bing. Yeah, that's it. In a bonded oh, warehouse. In a, yeah, <laughs> in a bonded warehouse. Um, back in the day when the uh, revenue agents actually worked at the distilleries, and they were the only ones with the keys to the tanks and the rickhouse, um, it would be bottled under strict supervision. Um, now the supervision is done by me signing the bottling log. Um, there's a checkbox that you have to check and sign under the terms of perjury to the United States federal government. I do contest that the above statement is true. Um, so yeah, it's just like somebody watching you. <laughs> and that's great. So we, we don't have that one here, but we do have the white whiskey and we also have the small barrel bourbon. One thing before we get into tasting that I wanted to talk to you about is the lack of the E on the whiskey, which is uncommon, I would say, for bourbons. Uh, very, it's what you'll see in scotch and uh, some yeah. different whiskeys around the world. But why did you choose to leave that out? You know, it. I don't know if you heard this part, but um, I, I like playing games with the English language now and then. Um, if somebody says, like you just did, oh, I noticed you're, you don't have the E in whiskey, and I know you read the bottle. Um, so it's, it's just, it's kind of being a nonconformist. Um, if everybody's doing it this way, trust me, I'll do it another way. Um, just it's how I'm wrapped. Um, it has always kept me safe. Um, you know, it comes down to when I was a kid taking driver's ed, they were teaching defensive driving and really going down the road of that. And I raised my hand and I said, yeah, but if everybody's driving defensively, no one's going to get very far. So I'll probably be out there pedal to the metal. And the driver ed teacher did not appreciate that view of it. But uh, I mean, that's the way I, I think of things. You know, if everybody's going one way, why? And maybe choose a different path. It served me well so far. So to get into tasting these whiskeys, which would you guys recommend we start with? The white or... I would do the white first, just because it's bigger. So the white whiskey is the same grain bill as our bourbon, 58% corn, 37% rye, 5% malted barley. Um, on, on the white whiskey, we do do, I hate doo-doo, but we do different cuts coming off the still. Um, they're much narrower because we're not going for any of the um, fusels towards the end or- um, the, the barrel also removes a lot of the kind of off flavors and where we have 60 seconds with the white whiskey in a barrel, the, um, we're not removing all that, the off-putting flavors. So we have to kind of clean it up a little bit and shorten the, the hearts. So we tell people take two sips, first one really small, rolled around your mouth. It's going to be prickly, not unlike Listerine. Um, and that's because it's aquaphobic, high in alcohol. And it's actually um, extracting moisture from the tissues of your mouth. You're not going to get a ton of flavor. Um, that usually lasts 20 to 30 seconds for most people. 
And then we suggest you take a normal sip. Uh, it will open right up. You'll get the sweetness of the corn. Um, you should get the spiciness of the rye in the back of your, your throat. And it will warm you down your torso, probably past your belly button. Um, it's bottled at 100 proof, 50%. And um, it's good and clean. Yep, definitely. So I just, like you said, I took a couple sips to test it out. Um, what I will say first on the nose, where a lot of whiskeys and, uh, you know, once you get into especially American whiskeys and bourbon and stuff, you'll get sort of that sting, that tingle in the nose when you smell it. I don't get any of that with this. It's really smooth, a nice, clean smell. And then on the taste, definitely, like you're saying, the sweetness comes through in the end uh, a lot. And it's just really smooth going down. It's uh, I like it a lot. It's definitely Thank you. delicious. And it keeps we'll going, it. that's for sure. Yep. Bianca, have you gotten a chance to try it out yet? It's definitely different. And Bianca I think is not a whiskey uh... <laughs> girl. Full disclaimer: she doesn't really like whiskey, so I don't. <laughs> I don't not. Li I don't not like it. It's definitely different in flavor. Um, I'm still not a whiskey aficionado, so I'm not great at tasting them. But um, it's what's your go-to? Go-to spirit? Yeah. I typically would drink gin if I was drinking a hard liquor. Yeah. So I'm a little a uh, little different, but I'm I'm warming up to the whiskey. So okay. don't be fooled. We're getting there. <laughs> um, but my question, so it's definitely different than most of the whiskeys I've tried. Obviously, it's it's its own thing. It's you know, it's it is different. What is it that makes it and you might have already answered this, but what is it that makes it white? I've had a lot of intrigue from people I've shown okay. it to. All spirits come off the still clear. The color from spirits comes from the tannins of the barrel and the caramelized sugars. It's just like, you know, if it's fall and it rains out and there's a puddle and a, you notice a leaf in the puddle, that leaf will turn the water brown. Um, those are the tannins that are in the leaf, not unlike the tannins that are in the oak. And most spirits will receive 90% of their color within the first six months of aging. So to get to the colored one here, the small barrel, um, yeah. I just started sniffing and tasting this one here. And immediately, uh, one thing that I'll note is that on the smell, it almost seems like I'm getting a little bit more on the nose. Um, when it comes to, I guess what I'd say that tingle, I'm not very great at identifying the nose on the whiskey so far still learning but on yep. the taste uh definitely not getting as much of like a like a citrusy fruity sweetness almost as i was on the white where i was almost getting like a raisiny type finish um where i'm definitely definitely i'm a rye whiskey fan it's one of my favorites and yep. i'm really getting that sort of grainy grassy flavor coming through on it and again super smooth you guys nailed it on that it's definitely easily drinkable. You know, I haven't added any water or anything to it yeah. and just straight out of the bottle. It's just delicious and, and easy drinking whiskey. So on, on the nose, um, right out of the bottle, what you're gonna get is the difference between this and the white whiskey on the heads cut. So we cut, we cut, sooner into the run. So we're allowing more of those higher alcohols to go into our hearts. Um, they, 
finish out better in the barrel that way. I mean, we have done, we keep copious notes on stuff. And I mean, we'll not as much now, but five years ago, we were changing our operating procedures pretty much quarterly. Um, and if we made a mistake, we accepted the mistake, keep even better, tighter notes on that mistake. And a couple of mistakes, we do that now all the time. Um, it turned out really well. I mean, this whole thing self-taught between David and I, and um, it's a trip. It's a trip. But yeah, this definitely feels like, I don't know if that if that's an accurate representation of it, but this feels sweeter to me. Like it's brighter in my It'll mind. It'll be a lot sweeter. Nice. Yeah, it's yeah. nice. So like you, you get, you get, so what you're getting is when the barrel is toasted, um, the heat caramelizes the wood sugars. And now that we're aging even longer on the 30 gallon barrels, um, the extraction of those sugars into the main body of the spirit happens during the cold season or when the barrel goes into a vacuum. It actually squeezes what's in the wood back out into the liquid in the center of the barrel. Now for most whiskeys, and you've I'm sure played around with many, is there a minimum aging time that you have to age them for for it to have you know a good flavor, a good drinking flavor? Yeah. Um, I mean, our baby bourbon was aged in five gallon barrels for nine months. And good product. We sold it all. Um, people liked it. It's different than what we're producing now um, in bigger barrels. The recipe has primarily stayed the same. Um, we've got several cases of those first batches that we ever did. And one of these days, we're going to have a horizontal tasting, um, which I think would be kind of cool to do on our 10th year. Um, nope. So mm -hmm. the... Um, I forgot your question now. I ramble. <laughs> uh, Bianca was asking about the minimum aging times, but I think uh, another interesting way to spin this is talking with the different barrel size. Like you said, the smaller barrel, uh, you only aged it for nine months. With that smaller barrel, why are you able to age it less and still get a good final product? Surface area mostly. Um, you will over age it though. So picture uh, taking a shot glass and putting a tea bag in it and then take a gallon jug and put that same tea bag in the, the extraction from the tannins and the char that's left in the barrel is just so much more concentrated. What you're not getting though is the oxidation um, because you don't have the length of time. If those five gallon barrels, if we didn't pull them out and dump them quick, it was like literally sucking on a tea bag. It was just way too bitter, way too oaky. Um, and we were able to blend some newer barrels and make it much smoother and nicer. But that's, uh, that's the hard part with five tens, um, all the way thirties were like the first sweet spot where we were able to, um, age it for, well, now up to almost three and a half, four yeah. years. And, uh, I think not four, get that. four years will be the, uh, the max, life. max pipe. Yeah. Problem. And, uh, Another question that I had. So on the white whiskey, this is actually the first white whiskey that we've had on the podcast. Oh, yeah. So we haven't really gotten to dig much into 
cocktails and things to the white whiskey. I know you mentioned the painkiller that you guys do with the rum. Is there any cocktails that you do specifically you think the white whiskey really shines through with? Uh, definitely the, the, the biggest one that stands out is actually a Bloody Mary. Normally you would use vodka, um, but we found with the, the white whiskey that you don't have that first sip of like a vodka sip. Um, the white whiskey is just so mellow and it's like throughout the whole cocktail. Um, I think it's a lot to do with like the acidity and it's not kind of separating and floating to the top because the oils that are in it. I love that. That's a great, I'm definitely going to try that. We, oh, yeah. I don't typically love Bloody Marys, but I also don't really like vodka that much. So I'm curious if I might like it better if it has the whiskey in it. So I'm going yeah, no, to try that. It doesn't like dilute it down. It, it keeps it sweet. And the mouthfeel of the white whiskey oh. versus a vodka is totally different. So I think you'd love it. We are told we have one of the best Bloody Marys out there. What do you, That's, do you have a, a recipe that you guys go to or a mixture that you like to pair it with? Uh, we make our own in-house. Oh, nice. Um, and the key is the tomato juice. Um, it, it's, we've done everything the same and not used, well, what we use is Sacramento tomato juice. Um, and the neat thing about that tomato juice is that it is pretty much canned at the field. I mean, those tomatoes are picked and they're immediately cooked and processed and canned the same day. And it just makes a huge difference. So I've, you know, we've tried V8 and Campbell's and Libby's and all the tomato juices that are out there, but the Sacramento, it shines right through. And you probably can't pick a favorite because, I mean, they're all yours. But when you you have your go-to drink at night, is there a specific one that you tend to reach for? Depends yeah. on the season for me. Uh, I'll do uh, Reposado. I love our agave. Our Reposado is like a, a perfect, almost bourbon-y, but it's like my summertime bourbon, I'd call it. It is so smooth. I'll just little one ice cube. And if I'm feeling like I want a little lime added to it, I'll do that, just a little squirt. But... Other than that, um, our bourbon kind of like 90% of the time is my go-to drink as well. That's one that I definitely have to try because I tend to lean towards whiskeys in general uh, and it's all over the place. You know, I, like I said, I'm a big rye guy, uh, but I also, I'll always have like a rye, a bourbon and a scotch in the stable. And recently Bianca and I just did a St. Patrick's Day episode last night. We, I started getting into Irish whiskeys, which I hadn't really experimented with before, which yeah, I've really been enjoying. But with that taste, I'm also a tequila fan. I tend to lean more towards like an Anejo because yeah. I feel like it. I get more of that similar characteristic from the barrel aging that I like um, with those notes, you know, like caramel that come through with the wood and everything. So I really enjoy that. But I'll have to try out some of your spirits as well to see because the way that you're talking about them, I really, you know, I feel like you guys are making awesome spirits and I love supporting local. So being able to really get an agave spirit locally that I know is done well and you know done with care I think that'll be really good and I'm excited to try it yeah we've had a lot of craft distillers reach out to us to ask us how we make it and I'm a rising tide floats all boats kind of guy and I will tell them probably 90 percent of what they need to know um, I also believe that in order to really learn something you have to do it and accept the failure and learn from those failures I mean, our, so bourbon fermentation is a four-day fermentation. 
and our agave fermentations over 30 days, usually up to 42. So there's, and you have to feed it three times a day with nutrients and keep the pH balance. I mean, it's, it's a baby. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you just don't add water to agave syrup and throw yeast in it and uh, distill it four days later. You can, and I know people that are, but you don't get what we get. So, hey, next time you guys go to York 54, swing by. <laughs> Definitely, we will be there. So where can people uh, find your whiskeys and your other spirits and everything in stores? Well, we're in Maine at uh, all the Hannafords, um, all the real, what I call liquor stores. We're not in any of the gas stations, agency stores type of thing. Um, New Hampshire has our bourbon gin and bottled and bond um, right now. Um, Massachusetts has all of our spirits. Um, our distributor was acquired two years ago and it's now working well. Um, and our footprint in Massachusetts is expanding. Um, DC, we're in probably six places. New York, probably a dozen. Um, Florida, we're in two. And then online too. Yeah. Through some third party sellers. So you can get it off our website. I think what, four whiskey lovers and yep. speakeasy. Speakeasy. Yep. Yeah. That you can just go to our website and do a click and it will take you to them. We sell a ton of spirits online. Um, we're our best customer though. I mean, we, between the two distilleries, we have this one and the one down at the beach. We have a lot of bottles go out our front door. Um, and I like selling them myself because, hey, guess what? We make that other 30% on it. So, you know, so I, am, on I am in this as a business. There you go. And like I said, we're always down there. So we'll definitely be stopping and getting it straight from the source next time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I can show you around and taste you through the stuff. I mean, it's probably three months ago. Um, we were doing one of these things and I forget who it was, to be honest with you, but they were the first person that picked up that we have a commonality of a flavor profile through our spirit line. And they were the first ones to pick up on that. I mean, David and I have recognized it years ago. And a lot of it is the way we cycle our spirits through our stills. Um, we actually have a rhythm of this goes after this, but before that, you only do the vodka after a minimum of five bourbon runs and we use the vodka to clean the still. Um, and the vodka picks up all the estification that is on the inside of the still. So our vodka has always had a flavor to it. And a silky mouthfeel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's... Uh, it's different. Fun adventure. It, it is. It's, and, you know, I get to work with my son. Yeah. It's awesome. And now Bianca I'm here is my sister. So we know how yeah. the family yeah. business <laughs> kind of yeah. works. But yeah, so we're excited. We're going to have to try your other stuff too, because that sounds interesting. Because again, yeah. I've only really gotten into any of the, I guess, large company vodkas to put it, you know, kind of a the big brands but i've never really tried a you know local craft vodka and like bianca said vodka's always just been kind of 
the flavorless alcohol that fills a cocktail, but the fact that yours actually has a flavor and, you know, I'm sure you guys really put I mean, there into how it comes out. Yeah. I mean, there's some cocktails that our vodka doesn't work in yeah. because it stands out too much, um, which is fine. I mean, the TTB actually just this year recognized the craft movement and they have changed the requirements of vodka because it used to be, um, in the regulation must be devoid of taste, smell, or texture. And now they're accepting that vodkas have a taste, a texture, and a smell to them. That's wild that at any point they even decide to say that. How do you uh, have any of your big brands or even differentiating yourself from each other? It's like, hey, we have this. It doesn't taste like anything. It doesn't smell like anything. It's just alcohol. Enjoy. The one I loved, it was filtered through 24 karat diamonds. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I mean, it's like, really? It's all GNS. Uh. <laughs> Vodka's all marketing. It is. Yeah. It is. So what's your favorite part about working in the spirits industry? Oh, God. Um, Sampling. <laughs> out of, we have several businesses in our family. And it's the only business that we have that we're we have a product really making a product yeah. versus a food or something like that or service or service. Um, so making something from scratch with your hands, seeing somebody really appreciate it, um, and walk out with half a dozen bottles under their arm. Yeah. Um, to me, that's the ultimate thank you. Um, I mean, and hey, we've had a couple people that didn't enjoy what we did. And it's like, okay, fine. I mean, I'm not going to get upset over it. Um, tell me what you don't like about it. And okay, fine, accept it. Well, come to find out they're a P Pinot Grigio drinker. Um, they're not into spirits. And we happen to be the spirit that they wanted to try and they didn't like it. And, you know, life's too short to be offended by people. And yeah, and much like that with uh, Bianca, I've been trying to get her for months and months to try to have a little bit more spirit just to get accustomed to that because I started this journey, you know, coming out of college, just I bought some cheap bottles of whiskey. I looked at what's the cheapest one you can get that tastes really good. Uh, and I ended up running into like Riverboat Rye and Wild Turkey 101 and just, you know, pretty much every night, just take a little sip and, you know, kind of try to get accustomed to that. And over time, you expand your palate, you try a new bottle every time and you just learn what you like, what you don't like. And you get used to that to the point where now when I taste whiskey, it's not just like, you know, that harsh burn and that burn all the way through, I can really pick up some more of those flavors and some more of those smells that you can enjoy it. So you can't expect everyone to jump right into the spirit. And if you're going into it, like, oh, this is a good bourbon, I must love it right away. It's its own game. You really have to be a spirits drinker and, you know, even a whiskey drinker to really enjoy whiskey and appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, exactly. That's it. And, you know, people come to me and, you know, first of all, well, I like your product. I, I don't know. Um, what's your palate? This and that. Well, what do you look for in a spirit? I said, well, I look for a spirit that I can enjoy. And every day 
your palate's different. I mean, I'll be honest with you. There's a couple days. Yeah, you're like, taste it, this. Is this off? And like, no, it tastes and, great. And <laughs> I'm what like, what do you have for lunch? <laughs> that's it. You know, what? what is your hydration level? What is the level of sleep? What, what did you have for lunch? I mean, there's so many things go into it, but I'll tell you on those days, I'll take a sip and it's like, God, this is terrible. We made this. And, you know, then I have that 30 second flashback of, Hey, you had that two nights ago and you absolutely loved it. So, but I have asked David a couple times that, you know, did I screw something? Because yeah. when we dump barrels, we decant the spirits and we um, let it sit for quite a while before we bottle. And we proof down at 1% for 24 hours. So it'll take us a couple weeks to go from barrel proof to bottling proof. And when we're doing a sample evaluation, we run it through a coffee filter because what we have found out there are microscopic barrel fines that will stay suspended in our tank and they're bitter as all get out. Um, and you run, just run through a coffee filter and you look and you'll just see little black specks. You take the two glasses side by side and they will taste totally different. Now we don't chill filter, but we do filter to five microns. Um, just to pick up all the barrel char. Um, I mean, I've had some uncut raw whiskey. You can find them now and then bottled. And I've tried them. I mean, you can see char floating around in the bottle at the bottom of the bottle. And sure enough, it's got the same bitterness <laughs> that we personally don't enjoy. Yep. But I guess there's people out there that enjoy it. I think a lot of that comes from a point of pride too, where I know a lot of people that are in the whiskey game and, you know, the different online communities and stuff that I'm a part of, a lot of people take pride in having something that's as, I guess, raw as possible or as high of an ABV as possible. You know, when they're getting something that's 65% ABV, they're like, oh, this is the best just because yeah. that's yeah. what they like to put forward and they like that image. But, you know, I'm with you on that one. Like you said, yeah, some scotches are light, but you know, that sweet spot with a bourbon, when you get a really good bourbon that's just done right, there's not much better. So one thing I'd like to point out for you, um, next time you, you try our bourbon, pour it in a rocks glass, probably two ounces, put a single cube in it. If you have like uh, a two inch square, better. Or the spears. Or the spears. Um, if you've got like, refrigerator made ice cubes and they're sort of like half moons just put one in it because you don't want a huge amount of surface area and just enjoy that drink over half hour 45 minutes and just let it proof down and our our bourbon and our mash bill has enough complexity in it that it changes at different proofs um and it, to me, it, it just blows me away that it, it will change that much as the ice melts. Um, I've tried it with a pipette, putting different values of water in it, proofing it down, bring home my densometer so I can check the proof on the fly. Um, but the flavors will change batch to batch, I've noticed. So a lot of it is the way, you know, the grains fermented out. But that's really trying to get anal on it. 
And a lot of that, I think, also comes from any, like I, we've been over this before, any agricultural product is going to change with the inputs. You know, every season it's going to be different. And, you know, you're obviously trying to keep somewhat of a consistency in the process and everything. But, you know, the ingredients that go in are going to ultimately have an effect on the final product. I mean, and, and there's, there's fining techniques that some people do. I mean, you can add oaken powders um and all sorts of stuff coloring agents yeah we don't do any of that just not, add water after. not in <laughs> bourbon um but yeah there's a lot of whiskeys that there's a lot of i call it shenanigans um but i took a class that you could add four different properties of oak powders they had different ph's and things like that and we took this bourbon that was definitely subpar and in 20 minutes turned it into something that was fabulous. Um, and it, it, it just blew me away. I mean, the company's from France and it, they use it a lot in the wine industry. Um, but yeah, there's stuff out there that people do. Um, you know, some places add uh, glycerin to increase the mouthfeel of the spirit and it also sweeten will sweeten it, it up. Um, but we choose, we don't add anything to any of our spirits. So for everybody who's listening, who's interested in finding the spirits, check out the website. And for those who are listening, who would like to follow you and see what you're up to, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, Wiggly Bridge Distillery, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, we have a small YouTube channel that we started. If you want to go on that, you can see how we uh, built the last still we made, 750-gallon uh, copper stainless hybrid uh, pot still. I'll definitely be checking that out for sure. That sounds like it would uh, be a good watch. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on tonight. We enjoyed the uh, whiskeys that we tried. We're excited to try more of the spirits. I know Bianca, being a gin drinker, is excited to get her hands on some of that gin and try that one out. Uh, but again, thank you for your time. Uh, we look forward to trying them and cheers. cheers. Well, thank you very cheers. much. Cheers to you. You have a good life. Be sure to follow us on social at Uncorked Corner and on the blog at uncorkedcorner.com for a taste of more food and beverage content. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a comment, subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for listening. Thanks.